Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. and welcome to Conversations with Lulu's first live episode. Uh, I'm super excited about this. In the spirit of adapting to the new coronavirus restrictions and for me to be able to to make these conversations more natural, more timely and fun, I've decided to try this new format. For this uh, first live episode, I'm joined by uh, Rayan Karaki. He's the Partners and Platforms Lead at Google. He's, he's honestly such a maverick for agreeing to be my first victim for the live session. So really, I have to thank uh, Ryan for uh, agreeing to this. Sorry, Ryan. Before we start, uh, just a quick note to thank our sponsor. It's uh, Joy Gifts. Joy Gifts is a gifting marketplace operating in 22 cities across MENA like Dubai, Riyadh, uh, Jeddah, Beirut, and Cairo, and more. You can download their app or you can visit their website. It's joygifts, which is J-O-I, gifts.com. And you can order anything from flowers and sweets and balloons and other stuff. You can, uh, you can get a 15% discount on everything by using the promo code LULU15. That's L-O-U-L-O-U-1-5. So thank you very much to Joy Gifts. And now, uh, Ryan, welcome, and uh, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, thanks, Lulu. Thanks for calling me a maverick. Uh, While well, you actually mean a guinea pig, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a lips, lipstick on a pig. Let's put it this way. <laughs> sure, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So just uh, just a quick uh, uh, intro, just to give uh, the listeners some context. Uh, Ryan is. Ryan, sorry, I have a colleague who's called Ryan, so I'm, I'm going to keep mixing it up. My apologies, Ryan. Uh, Ryan is okay. uh, one of the brightest brains in digital, if not in general. Uh, he's also a ton of fun. I, I had the opportunity to meet him recently over a Christmas dinner. And while we talked about digital and startups and, and other bits and pieces, uh, I got to know his, his funny side and I got to know that he was a, a startup comedian which was really fascinating because I think it takes a lot of guts to do that. So, so now you're in, uh, in sitting at home in lockdown. And, and, and so how, how is that working for you? Well, uh, I mean, you, you can't really do stand-up comedy from, from where I sit because most of this, my stand-up comedy style is uh, story-based. Okay. You know? And now I kind of have to move over and let the generation of memes and one-liners and cheap comedy take over oh, <laughs> and I just man. have to enjoy them like everyone else. What a loss. But uh, yeah, but, but at least uh, actually it gives me a lot of time to write because you observe people's behavior. And uh, so I'm, I'm taking the time to write new material. Uh, hopefully in a post-COVID world, I get, I'll get to perform a little bit. <laughs> okay. So what, what kind yeah. of comedy, what kind of, what's, uh, what kind of uh, stand-up do you do? 
So uh, mostly I tell stories about uh, childhood and growing up in Lebanon. Obviously, uh, okay. you know, growing up during the war comes comes with a lot of uh, with a lot of funny stories. So uh, yeah, I'm not about to crack one now if that's what you're looking for, but. <laughs> But okay. yeah, that's that's, I had to that's try. the that's the style. That's the style. <laughs> what's the what's the saying about uh, public speaking? I think Jerry Seinfeld said that uh, that the number one fear in human beings is speaking in public, and the number two is is death. Is death? Yeah. So in most funeral, yeah, so in most funeral, people would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy, <laughs> which is pretty funny. <laughs> So, is there uh, do, do you have any like uh, uh, like is there a strategy to it? Are there any tips that are uh, transferable potentially uh, to work? You know, I'm I'm sure it helps you in public speaking. Are you gonna get into it if I if I give you some advice? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I need to see if I've got it. Maybe. I mean, I've been trying a lot of things recently, so <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Good. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, look at the typical stuff, right? Uh, it's funny because. Like doing stand-up comedy and speaking in public or presenting have a lot of similarities. You know, like best jokes have three punchlines. You know, oh, everything know good that. comes in threes. Okay. And you start from the from the least punchy to the highest punchy, and you have to start really strong and end really strong, because in the middle you can tell stories and people will tolerate them. But if you start strong, you'll get the hook, and if if you finish strong, people will remember you for your last joke. So, Interesting. You know, the, as if you're presenting. Interesting. So it's quite transferable, actually, to, to to everything you do at work and in life, probably. That's cool. So where do you get the creativity? Said, uh, from everyday life, actually. I mean, just noticing how people behave, uh, observing my life. And uh, also being, being able to make fun of yourself is the number one rule. Because the minute you make fun of yourself, people will start accepting you making fun of them. Does it, uh, you know. does it threaten you in yeah, any way? I mean, you are you are quite senior, uh, you know, in the in the corporate world. Yeah. Do, do you feel at all? I mean, I guess I would assume that maybe people don't do much public speaking because they're afraid to be ridiculed or or you know made fun of. Does it scare you at all? Uh, it doesn't scare me, but uh, I I try to keep these two worlds separate. It's very hard in a place like Dubai because. You know, your audience is, is your audience. And the minute someone knows you do stand-up comedy, they all want to come to your show. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, you have to navigate those in a very, in a very, you know, there's a very fine line uh, on what jokes I would say if I have colleagues in the room or what jokes I wouldn't say. So, for example, I was asked multiple times to do a show for my colleagues only, and I said no, because some of the material is sensitive and, and it'll be frowned upon. <laughs> Let's just say that. I think this is, Amazing! Like I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. I, I think it's super gutsy from you, and I think the, the, the sort of message that I get out of it is, you know, it's okay. Uh, even if you're like a senior corporate guy, it's okay to, to, to have fun and make fun of your, you know, yourself. And as you said, you know, look at, look at your life and, 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 and tell jokes and funny stories, and it's, it's totally fine. So yeah, yeah, uh, it, yeah. You can also, yeah. I mean, also it, it, it transitions into the way you also lead and manage people and work with people you know what kind of rapport you build with them if people feel like you you know you, you can be vulnerable then it's a, it's a different ballgame that's very yeah. interesting so so you're switching a little bit to uh, to your uh, professional life and so you you were one of the earliest people in digital uh did you and you built i mean please like take us through uh your story a little bit uh and uh and how did you stumble upon digital 
was it uh, was it uh, were you you know a visionary did you see it coming or uh, or how what's the story there uh no to be honest it was initially it was pure luck and then i started really believing in it uh so i i mean i i'm a finance graduate i have nothing to do with digital advertising uh you know i went into uh, advertising because that was the job that was available back then and i started with uh, tv and print planning uh, that was my first job then i remember once in maybe 2004 uh so early early days uh some guy who used to represent yahoo in the region uh, came to my office and pitched me that i should expand my marriott campaign into something called banners uh, an impression and click through was the metric back then Uh, and we we started running that campaign, and then two weeks into the campaign, he called me and he was like, "You know what? This banner looks like it's international. Why don't you just add to it the Saudi Afakat, uh, which is for Saudi only uh, in Arabic?" So we added that, and then suddenly the results doubled. And then I started getting curious, like, you know, you can actually do that. You can actually influence the way uh, uh, advertising results come back. Uh, and that's how I started getting into it. So it was purely luck. It was purely one display campaign. I think the whole campaign was like a thousand five hundred dollars, and got us millions and millions of impressions back then. Because that was in two thousand four. You said, yeah, it was, okay. yeah, it was two thousand four. Uh, you know, then it was it started very very slow. Uh, then in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I went to the US uh, with uh, Publicis, with Starcom at the time, and I learned everything I need to learn about digital uh, uh, because it was already an advanced uh, practice there. Um, and I, I brought all the learnings and started uh, what was back then Stockholm IP, which is the digital arm of Publicis. Um, and it was, and, and the journey started from there. I was doing this as a 20%, 30% job, uh, and eventually it turned into like a 80-90 team, uh, people to, in, in my team across the MENA region, uh, tackling all sorts of uh, digital campaigns. All the way to 2014, when I was, you know, when I moved to Google. So, so how was that? I mean, from what I've what I've learned is, uh, you you were you were quite uh, an entrepreneur, basically within the within the structure of uh, of publicities. Uh, that that basically you you really took ownership uh, of you know of their digital arm and uh, and you grew it and so 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 you had a lot of autonomy at the time. Was it how was that? You know, to work within the framework. Uh, of a company, uh, so I wouldn't dare call myself an entrepreneur because I don't have the guts yet to <laughs> to quit the corporate life and go to my own thing. Uh, maybe an entrepreneur, yeah. So, uh, look, I think it started initially with no one caring about digital because it was such a small piece of the business, and you know I was left to kind of play alone in that space. Uh, I think the minute it started growing and getting a lot of attention from customers uh, as well as internally, it became the hot cake and everyone, everyone wants a piece of, a, of the hot cake. When, when did that uh, switch happen? Funny enough, the crash in 2008 accelerated. Uh, uh, that. So I used to do the digital job as a part-time job before 2008. After the crisis, uh, it became my full-time job and we started hiring like crazy because I think what happened in that crisis is the accountability went up And customers started expecting a lot more uh, explanation on the return on investment uh, that they make in media, uh, and that's when digital took a took a you know a, a strong uh, a strong position. Uh, unfortunately, digital took a strong position in branding first. Performance is still uh, a laggard in my view, uh, but but at least it was there. 
And then within that, you know, we launched a content uh, uh, practice. We launched a social practice. Um, we actually started the first agency trading desk in Mina. Uh, and I think it was all based on one obsession that I had, which is that I didn't, I didn't want to, re to report it to EMEA. I wanted to report it to the US. And for me to report it to the US, I had to show that I'm actually capable of taking the most advanced stuff and try to implement it here. Uh, and some of my friends who, are, who were colleagues back then suffer from this until the day. <laughs> what's, a, what's an agency trading desk, just to, just to clarify to everybody? It's a, so if you heard of programmatic advertising, yes. um, the, platform that takes, the platform that takes data and, puts, uh, and cooks data in the system to select the best inventory for that uh, campaign, uh, is called a demand side platform, which is uh, uh, a tool that allows you to buy advertising programmatically. And as we move more uh, towards automation now, I think, uh, not that I want to jump <laughs> to talk about COVID, but I think post-COVID automation is going to take a much bigger priority even. Uh, and, and, you know, the the, the job of uh, buying and running media campaigns, which is a commodity now, needs to be much more automated. So this Interesting. Process started for us in 2009, and we're probably probably agencies are going to reap the benefit in 2020. So interesting. Even though you said something that you that you feel that buying media is a is a is a commodity. Yeah, because uh, because automating the process of media will leave uh, uh, the agencies to do much more strategic work, and you know much more much more thinking around what infrastructure customers have, what data is being utilized. So really, do the strategic work that we were set out to do rather than waste uh, you know, 70% of our time on uh, the mediocre job of, of running campaigns. And, and what kind of, uh, what kind of I mean, if you, if you grew the team, you said up to 80 or up to 90 people almost within, within a, mm -hmm. a few years. So how was, how was that? Was there, was there how, I mean, do you have any tips on, on scaling quite quickly on hiring? Were you able to find the right talent? Was there any conflict internally within the company that all of a sudden you're the you're the star and you're you know you're growing this thing massively so how how was that uh, how was that period for you <laughs> so uh you got to take me back to my anxious days uh so how am i okay. so look uh so yeah to be to be completely transparent uh, uh just like today uh there's definitely a battle between um back then it was battle between offline and online uh, now it's the battle between automation and non-automation, um, uh, and it's a battle between what is data analytics and what is everything that sits on top, what is client servicing. Uh, and I think back then it was uh, the key was to make sure that the revenue is still coming, and to make sure that we diversify from uh, the old way of making money, which is purely commission based on advertising spend. Uh, uh, and I think back then we had also a very uh, uh, maverick CEO. Who uh, globally, who actually pushed us to diversify uh, the revenue sources, which allowed us to make all these investments. Uh, the internal battles, I, I won't comment too much on them. They were definitely there. Um, they were there in the sense of how do we integrate the businesses, which is a fair ask. But then you can't take Why? someone who's... Were you, who's were a, you like a, a totally separate business? Pra practically, yes. Knowledge-wise, we were. Because you, know, you either have the knowledge on digital or you don't. Yeah? Okay. Uh, and because we were and because we were operating in a in a in a structure that services the whole agency, we became you know what, what you depend on uh, uh, for your life because the customer is asking for digital, not because someone is asking him to to do that. He's coming to a director on an account who doesn't know much about digital, who has to go to these specialist uh, units 
to get to get that knowledge. And and the key challenge became how do you disseminate that knowledge uh, uh, across the, the agency? And that's a very very tough choice. So, were you, uh, my uh, opinion back then, obviously, were you given yeah. a, were you given a like a share of voice uh, per se, like when it came to media planning and so on, or you had to you had to have that fight as well? No, to be fair, I think I think pretty early on people understood the value. Uh, uh, and I think the fact that we operated like a cost center, not like a profit center, allowed people to use our services because also our services had higher margins. Uh, you know, digital was the new thing and it required specialized services, uh, specialized skills, which means customers were willing to pay for those specialized skills uh, a bit more than classical media. And were you uh, able to find so, the talent? Uh, I think the, the Middle East region is still struggles when it comes to, to talent. Uh, but I think it's mostly because advertising as an industry was not able to attract uh, uh, the right talent because it couldn't compete with, let's say, management consultants, uh, uh, you know, and it couldn't compete with with high-paying uh, uh, jobs. And now it can't compete with tech, which is also a, a big challenge for for that industry. Uh, and I think, look, uh, if you look at the advertising spend per capita in MENA. It's been between fifteen and twenty dollars for the past ten years, or even more, twenty years. That's compared to like fifty five hundred dollars in the US, six hundred dollars in the US. This is today. Four hundred dollars in the UK. This is today. Wow. Now I know I know we're an oil-based, uh, uh, you know, region, so not necessarily manufacturing, and therefore advertising didn't necessarily grow as much. But also, if you look at the purchasing power pre-COVID. We have some of the highest purchasing power in some of the countries that, that we are and the neighboring countries. So it, it just it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. And that's been always my obsession, which is how do we make sure we increase that? How do we make sure we increase that? But that money never came. And I think the lack of the right investment at the right time. Uh, we we waited for 2008 crisis for digital to become a, an important channel, and now we waited for a 2020 crisis for infrastructure to become the right play. So. It seems like we like to to wait for the crisis and then leapfrog uh, uh, all what we've missed <laughs> on for a long time. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to do it in, in, in spite of us, not uh, not proactively, uh, reactively. So, so is it? Uh, yeah. but why why is that number so high in the US? Is it because most of the spend is done by uh, by small businesses? Uh, Whereas, for example, here you you have maybe the 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 big multinational spending with the agencies, or what's what's the reason? Yeah, I think it's small reason. I think the the understanding of the importance of advertising is is much more mature in a lot of other markets. So, for example, take pharma. Pharma is a huge industry globally. You don't see pharma advertising in the region, right? Uh, uh, insurance, banking, finance, uh, all the. It, it doesn't really happen. The other thing is the the how the media is formed. So if you look at MENA before digital, mediums used to be a regional medium. So TV used to be a satellite TV that covers multiple regions. And it used to be expensive relative to the fact that if I want to advertise today only for people who are sitting in one area of the Arab world, I didn't have that many options besides newspapers right, or radio, local radio. I didn't have a, a you know a very strong medium like TV versus in the US, you know you have local news you have sorry you have local channels you have regional channels and then you have nationwide channels, and they have different viewerships, and with that different viewerships come different pricing, so even the nature of the media also allowed uh, allowed for that. 
The second thing is that I still think digital advertising is still underrepresented and undersold uh, because technically it should, it should be, anyone should be able to advertise. Uh, before COVID, I used to talk about hotels, right? Why should I still uh, go on booking.com, check the hotel, and that's it? Why can't I handpick the room that I want to be in exactly after I've seen all of it? So why, is it, why or isn't this advertising present on, uh, on YouTube? Why should banks digitize their product but not advertise their product digit digitally? Like, it's, it's a bit counterintuitive. So I think these three factors is what, what slowed us down dramatically. Interesting. So, um, so, so since since obviously we're talking about uh, platforms, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Google, uh, your new role. So you you switched in 2014, you said. So it's not uh, not exactly new. Been a while. Uh, yeah. How I mean, uh, what's what's your role exactly, and how could someone listening like can you can you benefit the 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 average business or or do you work with specific partners only? So I'll just take you through the, the transition of roles that I played at Google because they're, they're a bit different from each other. I, I moved to Google with uh, the initial goal of uh, helping us establish the right relationship with agencies and the right business model and commercial deals based on the way agencies uh, are commercially structured. Uh, also to help agencies you know, get a grip on our product because our product is dynamic and, and changes a lot. Then I moved to uh, the DoubleClick side at the time, which is now Google Marketing Platform, which is focused again on programmatic. So uh, it's funny because my boss back then uh, was the same person who sold me uh, the platforms in 2009, uh, as I was telling you earlier, the programmatic platform. Uh, so, so then uh, I moved to manage kind of all the partnerships at, uh, at Google along with uh, uh, our product specialism. So on the partnerships, I think if we're really going to make that change, which was what I was telling you about, which is the spend per capita uh, in MENA, we can't solely rely on one type of partner because we can't solely rely on CMOs driving that agenda. I think CEOs need to shift the perception that advertising is an expense versus an investment. And we need the CFOs to build the right financial model to understand what return on that investment is going to be meaningful enough for that uh, uh, advertising exp advertising line not to be scratched off every time we are in crisis, uh, which tends to happen all the time. So, uh, so that's my obsession. With, with that, we need different types of partners. We need partners who can consult. Uh, so the typical consultancies that you see, which historically would address the build or the IT part of uh, 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 the infrastructure, but wouldn't touch marketing uh, per se. We need uh, system integrators, so people who can actually take the customer's technology and plug it with our technology or with CRM or with any technology that is needed. Um, can you uh, you were, uh, can you can you give um, some examples, maybe just for for uh, for it to be a bit clear? Can you name a, a few a few partners, for example, or companies that you work with, just for me to understand? Or you can't. I would rather not because the, because the others are going to be pissed off. But I'll okay. I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you an example of of something that we've uh, we've done. Uh, not necessarily in this region, but for a similar role in other regions. So we've worked with uh, a European airline, for example, on instead of still assigning a budget from point A to point B uh, uh, for that airline, why aren't we using load factor, price per ticket, profitability as the indication on where we should buy advertising and with what messaging? Does that okay. make sense? So for that to happen, 
there's a lot of steps that need to happen before that uh, people usually miss out on. There needs to be the right infrastructure that connects business data before we even start talking about audience data. Then you need the right marketing technology that captures the right audience data. Then you need advertising technology that allows you to buy this in an automated way at scale. Okay. So, so these, these steps, which I call digital marketing maturity, uh, is what we try to achieve. But it's possible for Google to achieve all these aspects because we don't play in every aspect of those. That's why consultancies play a big role and system integrators play a big role. And then comes and then, the uh, media agencies. Yeah, Sorry. and so I, that's what I was going to say. Are the media agencies uh, filling this, this gap to a certain extent? Yeah, so, so media agencies play now in the ad tech space and martech space. They're getting more and more involved in that in that aspect. While at the same time, there's a convergence happening from the consultancies on getting more and more into media buying and planning. So they're kind of meeting in the middle uh, right now, which is which is good for the ecosystem, but also it shows that uh, this change needs to happen quickly on both sides. Uh, uh, so the conversations we have with both of them is very different, but eventually leads to the same uh, bottom line. And interesting enough is in another, a lot of partners of Europe, we're seeing uh, uh, agencies and consultancies come in uh, and work together on certain client businesses. Uh, so they leverage, so basically they leverage each other's knowledge to be able to drive that uh, journey for the for the customer in terms of maturity, which is, which is I think if we are able to drop our egos a bit and and I put myself when I was in the agency I would go never no way I would work with a consultant, uh, you know if if we actually start thinking beyond and COVID is going to force us to do that if we think beyond that then actually we'll be able to. Uh, uh, to get somewhere. Interesting. So, so, so let's speak a little bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, COVID. Uh, yeah. I, I was, uh, I was on a call actually earlier today. We're doing a panel uh, next week on the the future of work, and uh, and one someone on the panel who's a who's a researcher basically she was saying that uh, in the previous uh, um, pandemics that happened. It took around three years for people to recover, basically, and come back to uh, a new normal. Uh, I, I speak to my friends. I think everyone's pretty optimistic. Everyone feels that, uh, you know, in a couple of months, uh, we'll be back to normal. Uh, Google recently announced that uh, you're going to work, you know, you have the option to work from home, I think, up until next year. So where, where do you sit on that uh, debate? Are you, do, do you think it's a, it's, a, it's a couple of months or do you think this is the type of change that's going to just make it like a seismic shift and we're, life is going to change? Look, wh whatever I tell you, I'll be, I'll be literally crystal balling it. So I'll be like literally coming up with my own theory. But, but, what's, but what I care about is uh, the long-lasting impact of COVID. Okay. And that is undeniable. Okay. I think a lot of businesses, meaning a lot of businesses were caught off guard on their readiness to work from home. Right. What we used to see as a perk in the tech companies, the Facebooks, the Amazon, the Googles, that uh, you know they work from home. Oh, how fun it is! Actually, it proved now that <laughs> whether it's for purpose or not, I'm not sure. That it was one of the wisest decisions ever because it allowed us to get into the new normal in a very, very fast way, uh, while a lot of other businesses. Uh, uh, struggled to uh, to do that. Actually, so uh, you know, a point so, on that, most uh, most startups. Anyway, I come from the startup world, and in the time when uh, uh, you know, like for example, our engineering uh, team, they were all sitting in in Greece and Athens. So remote work was uh, was something very normal and natural. Exactly. Uh, so so exactly. you're right. Tech, I think, is uh, is quite 
familiar with this uh, with this way of work. So, so that's that's one that's undeniable that everyone needs to be ready for this to happen again. Whether it's going to happen again or not is irrelevant. Uh, the, the second thing is how is consumer behavior going to change? And I think people are tend to jump to conclusions really quickly. So. Uh, I heard answers. a lot of stories about People a lot don't of like ambiguity. I think in general, they wanna they want someone to tell them. Yeah, but they need to put their finger on the pulse, right? There's a lot of con- there's a lot of uh, data today, and a lot of insights that are being pulled by all tech companies, not just Google, on what is the consumer asking for. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'll give you an example. If I take automotive as an industry, right? The, the initial thought was, okay, oil prices are tanking. You know, no one's going to need oil anymore because people are not going to want to drive to work and not going to want to commute. People are not going to want to buy cars, right? That's the initial assumption. But then actually what we figured is across EMEA and APAC and the US, people who used to use public transportation are actually moving away from that. And we've seen a 30% jump in people inquiring about purchasing a car and making the decision at home. So... Now, are they going to buy the Aston Martin? Probably not. Okay, but how does that guide the automotive industry? What choices does the automotive industry have to make to provide people with the experience that they had in a showroom, but digitally? I think the same thing applies to to multiple uh, industries. You can pick any industry you want. Education. And what if, are your if they don't have their education. So, so I think that, okay. I think right now education we're we're struggling to understand that. First of all, we left teachers in the dark ages uh, for a long time because you know schools are overpaid, teachers are underpaid. So we didn't allow the teachers to kind of move with the with the progress, at least in in our region. I don't think we have online education yet. I think we have an adaptation of uh, some Zoom sessions. To try to get the kids not to be completely ignorant. I don't have kids. I, mean, I tell but you, this is my. I, I have kids, and 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 honestly, from my experience, these these uh, online tools are the most horrible tools uh, you can ever use. There's zero user experience. It's it's like, I mean, yeah, that's not online learning. This this not online learning. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, and and. But but why are we guessing? Like, do we have e-learning? Uh, today that's available and uh, if you want to learn something today are the options out there of course they are right as an adult yeah, absolutely and and they kind of build what uh, what a syllabus look like some of the big universities as well have done that so why are we trying to recreate it why aren't we just learning from that experience and you know bring in also the child uh, psychologist experts and then find a way to, uh, to you know balance the parents time with the with the teacher's time you know, like I, I feel, but it's okay because this came as a surprise to everyone. It didn't, you know, it didn't happen over, well, the the, the regression of our education system has been happening for the past 50 years. But, <laughs> the regression. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, 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 you know, but right now this came as a surprise. And I think uh, uh, like everyone, they're, they're going to have to have to adapt. Um, yeah. But I also think like some industries, people think like, oh, this industry is going to win. Uh, I'm not also so sure. If I take retail as an example, it's a very, very tough play. So I, I, I've I done some opinions uh, about it, but we can get it. Yeah. There, there was a, there was a Bloomer, Bloomberg article uh, this morning that I read basically that says uh, a lot of uh, shopping now is, well, 
is happening. Oh, there's a new trend that is happening, which is uh, live stream. So you have these influencers uh, live streaming products. It's kind of like the the TV shopping, you know. It's they're kind of like bringing back that <laughs> that industry <laughs> to life. Uh, so, but you know what? Like, if if you think about uh, the, the future of work, by the way, uh, I mean these are like new jobs, uh, quote unquote, that are being created. Your your people are you know through digital becoming their own brands. They're building their own brands. Uh, and yeah. we all know that, you know, when it comes to shopping, a referral uh, is definitely goes, you know, a, a long way versus uh, an ad. So so is this, uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? Apparently it's happening in China a lot. Yeah, I think the difference is in China, you know, if, if you've been, if, you're, if you've been to China lately, or you've ever been to China before all of this, everything is already digitized, right? WeChat was like the gateway to everything. So, uh, so I think it's it's slightly different uh, here. I mean, you know, there's still a whole generation that we have to teach how to use uh, 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 online first, right? We have 200 million users in the Arab world who are still to be connected. Uh, so, so there's a really? there's a there's two worlds. I'm, I'm surprised yeah. by the stats actually, because because every yeah. every stat yeah. that I read is that how we're all. Uh, uh, how we all have our smartphones, uh, how we have as a region one of the, guys, the, the highest growth when it comes to internet penetration. You're thinking GCC. That's the reality. Yeah, but, but the growth is also across <laughs> yeah. MENA, no? I'm thinking GCC yeah, when it comes growth, to smartphones, mm-hmm. but when it comes to, to internet. Even if you look at penetration, it's very high here. But if you start going into North, North Africa, you know, where are we? We still have 200 million people to connect. And what's going to be the gateway? And how are we going to bring them into the process of online uh, online emailing before shopping to, to begin with? I'm, that's I'm really that's one side. Surprised by this, actually. I mean, my mother is seventy and she has a yeah. Facebook account. Well, my mother is seventy-five, and I had to teach her how to buy groceries online. So. <laughs> in, in, on a very on very on very not intuitive uh, uh, user experience apps. I won't name them, but. You know that that's another thing that that also is is hampering the the growth. So you talk, yeah, you're mentioning you're mentioning influencers and their ability yeah. to. If you're a small business, yeah. if you're a small business today, uh, what hmm. what can you do today? I mean, you said it's fifteen dollars, uh, you know, uh, spend basically on digital ads here versus six hundred or five hundred uh, in 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 the US. So not on digital ads, on total ads. Ah, uh, total ads. Sorry. Okay. I'm yeah. glad you clarified. Okay, so yeah. so what what do yeah. I need to do as a as a small business today? Okay, so so we can have the dreamy uh, answer and we can have the realistic answer. Let's the realistic the realistic, the realistic answer. answer says yeah. The realistic answer says that first first thing you need to do is you need to understand how much can you sustain your business with the current environment, because we don't know if this is going to continue or if this doesn't continue if it's going to come back. So you need to understand what longevity of the business you actually have. Second thing is, if you rush to a decision now, just because you're running after the money, more likely than not, these decisions are not going to be sustainable. So I'll give you an example. We saw a lot of uh, apps, I want to name them, pivot towards um, groceries, right? Yes, as as a means to to adjust. Sure. So so let, let's see, let's examine that phenomenon. So. The easiest thing, yes, on the short term, great. Cost of acquisition is really low. Everybody wants to shop for groceries online. Uh, the choices are limited, right? But post-COVID, 
when things return to quasi-normal a little bit, okay, even if this continues, the the size of the basket is, is or, the, or the shopping cart is going to be smaller because people are not going to be trying to hoard uh, stuff like crazy. Uh, and the amount of players in that space are going to be many. So I, I just don't see how on the long term that's sustainable or profitable. Well, there could if be, they're doing uh, this as a plug gap. There could be there could be mergers and acquisitions. Uh, there could be some that exactly. buy. Uh, I mean, I was having a chat as well with uh, Philip Bahoshi recently, who's uh, who's the founder of Magnet, and uh, which is a startup data uh, platform. And he was saying, I mean, he was predicting that you know we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see a lot of death of uh, startups or failures, let's say, in this part of the world. And uh, and that was I had the discussion with him before COVID. So uh, so I'm sure we're gonna see interesting. Um, you know, quite a bit of maybe mergers and acquisitions and, and failures, but that's startups. Perfect. So, so no, but even within the SMEs, why, why is it different? So, so if if you today understand the longevity of the business, and you know that realistically your chances to survive are very low, you need to start relying on who are the other companies or partners that I can work with or that I can merge with, uh, you know, to be able to to sustain the business. Because the, the last thing you want is to go, I don't care how long I can still run. I'm going to run after the money. I'm going to establish a model that's quick and fits the short term. And then on the long run, as you said, you end up with, uh, you know, yeah, with nothing. I, I mean, I guess what you're trying to say is, you know, don't, don't make rush decisions and don't make decisions. Uh, so that's one. Two is keep your finger on the pulse. Yeah, you know, I mean, is I, understand what consumers are looking for. I really I, like I, what you said. You know that we. Like people are jumping to conclusion, and it's it's, uh, it's true. And mm-hmm. and uh, you, you see it. You know when is it there gonna be a vaccine? When uh, when are we gonna come out of this? Uh, when is uh, when are we gonna be able to fly again or go on vacation or whatever? And I think people just want to know. And uh, and you're right. It's I think dangerous to to jump to conclusions early on. So um, yeah. I'm I'm just conscious of time. So I think I'm gonna try to. Uh, to wrap up a little bit, um, what do you think is the, so let's take today, okay, uh, with COVID and post-COVID, uh, realistically, what do you think is the, the biggest opportunity in the region that's going to that's gonna come out of this? Is, do, you, do you think that, uh, what's missing? What's, what's lagging? What, what do you feel that is going to be a sector that's going to grow or, or a, be interesting, or maybe even a behavioral uh, trend that's going to come out of this. Like, is there an opportunity for this region? Uh, yeah, look, I think the one thing that we, I didn't mention in all of this is what COVID has done to people is that it's true, it isolated us uh, in our homes, but it actually rebuilt that sense of community. And if today you look at what is being consumed online, uh, there's a lot of content that's being pushed uh, uh, that's related to things at home, yeah? So work out with me, cook with me. Uh, and it's actually building communities around those, uh, uh, you know, those, if you want, activity. Uh, and at the same time, from a consumption perspective as well, we're seeing a lot of consumption of uh, video on demand and a lot of consumption on video happening on the TV screen. We've actually seen like a 30% jump on average of, of, of consumption of, let's say, YouTube on a TV screen, which wasn't happening before, and that will stick uh so, so I think there is definitely an opportunity for people to become brands, as you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned earlier. 
It's just that they're going to have to be able to keep up with uh, uh, the changes that the consumer is expecting. The same thing applies for business. You know, so uh, if I'm a, as I said earlier, if I'm an automotive customer, how am I going to, how am I going to give the experience of being in a store uh, without be, while, while being at home? So I think the difference with doing something at home and doing something in the store is that in one, it's purely transactional. The other is the full experience. Are these words going to come together and how do you actually bring them together, especially if you're in a, in a startup space? Uh, that's, that's, I think, the equation that's the holy grail for the coming uh, couple of years. So and I'd be very, very interested for, uh, to see. For entrepreneurs, obviously, to, to plug these gaps as well. Oh, absolutely. How many, how many uh, startups came up of uh, the 2008 crisis? Uber, uh, I think Shopify. So there's, there's multiple uh, Slack, actually, not Shopify. But, uh, Airbnb. So, so, but going back to just one point on the on the people becoming brands. I mean, if you are in in mature markets, you're able to make millions of dollars uh, in revenue. For example, from YouTube. I mean, we we hear these stories every once in a while about a about a kid that's making like twenty million dollars. I'm like, oh my god, I'm in the wrong goddamn business. So, so how do you? I mean, are there are these opportunities there in here? Can you make that much money off so, YouTube? So I, I want to comment about making money off YouTube because, you know, okay. uh, first of all, it's not my, it's not my expertise. And even if I know a little bit about it, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but so, uh, but why not? Why not? Okay. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, I think we have, we have the talent in the region. I think actually we proved we have the talent. Uh, we just need to, we just need the talent that actually brings real value. Uh, uh, and I think that's, that's the area that I, uh, that I feel that I would, you know, I would double down on is instead of focusing mostly on how can we extract money of the influencers, if you want to call them, or the creators, is first, how can we support the creators to create the right content? What do you mean extract money? So, who's, who's extracting money? Like, are you mean, uh, as in, give me an example. I'll give you an example. If a brand today decides to use an influencer or a creator, they use them in a very commercial method is a one-off and it's gone, Okay. right? Rarely do we see a long-term relationship that is really focused on getting the best content out of that creator to entertain the audience and at the same time benefit on the long-term. We don't, we don't see these investments. Interesting. You know, I, I, if, you, if you look at, not to compare Michael Jordan to any influencer, but if you look at how Michael Jordan signed with Nike, if you're watching the Netflix documentary, if you're not, please watch it. it you know, it, there are two brands that grew together. Obviously, Jordan brought a lot more benefit to Nike, but now I think it's it's vice versa. Uh, so, so I feel like there's there's not enough investment that's going into creators and uh, and influencers to really get them to focus on do, doing something that's meaningful for the region. So we can actually start exporting exporting the PewDiePie's and the, you know the people you mentioned that are making tons of uh, tons of money. <laughs> I have an answer here. Who's the Who's the the greatest of all time? Is it Gopi Bryant or MJ? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think MJ, but uh, Kobe modeled the game after him. <laughs> Thanks for help. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ryan, uh, is there is there one thing you'd wish we 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 would stop doing in the in this part of the world, or we start doing in general? Yeah, I think I think I I wish we'd stop running after the short term. Uh, Actually, COVID gives us a big opportunity uh, to do that because 
now we can really focus on what is the right play that's going to have impact in a year. Uh, and I think with businesses, like in my time at agencies, I think this is the perfect opportunity because if you're a big company and you're publicly traded, the pressure right now is high, but how much incremental can it come if you make one or two million less? So do the right investment now. So in a couple of years, you can actually benefit out of it. I think uh, I think government and private sector needs to continue supporting uh, SMEs because they're actually the wheel of the economy. Uh, uh, and you know, and I think entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm putting a big bet on them, uh, uh, and hopefully one day soon I'll join them. Yeah, I was going to uh, say because I think I, I think they're the ones who, can, who are frugal enough and understand how to really spend every penny. Uh, if I was to start a company today, I would hire purely entrepreneurs if they decide, if they choose to come with me. I think, you know, we need, uh, and I'm saying we, as as someone who's been an entrepreneur for uh, for quite some time and in this space, uh-huh. I think, you know, we, we really need people that are uh, well experienced in the corporate world and, and come in with, with basically a lot of experience and a lot of depth. Um, so, so uh, but it's so difficult to convince people like your caliber, you know, to leave their they're, they're awesome jobs and, uh, and uh, you know, jump in and eat uh, tuna cans and uh, noodles. Well, there's, there's, there, there are other ways to do it, right? I mean, hopefully one day I will make the jump and I promise myself that I will. But there are, I sit on the board of two different startups uh, and, and, you know, I, I can contribute as much as I can. So I don't see why I can't help others. And I'm happy to mentor if needed. And I'm sure a lot of other Googlers and other tech companies as well are happy to mentor. That's cool. I mean, you're still in your 20s, so you've got a you've got a long time. Exactly, exactly. I need I need a mentor myself. <laughs> Thanks, Lila. All right. So I I I mean I I am gonna let you off the hook in terms of not uh, saying a joke, uh, but uh, but uh, Ryan has got uh, an interesting Instagram account called uh, the the Skinny Arab. <laughs> Uh, so, so you can Did see you some of his, so you can see some of his jokes. Yeah, of course. Uh, hopefully, one day Thanks. I'll be able to see you uh, in person. I think that'd be very interesting. Um, so, and and Sounds you know, to job. to wrap up, I just want to thank everybody that tuned in on LinkedIn. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's uh, made some comments. We'll try to figure out a way to to be a, to be able to get people to engage and ask questions, and uh, hopefully. Uh, give some time for Q&A as well. So really, thank you to everybody. This is the first time I'm doing this live. So uh, so uh, hopefully it's the, the beginning of something. Uh, I just want to make a final uh, self-promotion note. So please, if you haven't done so, uh, check out Conversations with Lulu on, uh, on any of the podcasting apps uh, or on YouTube as well, if you'd like the, to see the video format. And uh, yeah, until uh, until the next episode, Stay safe. Have a good evening, uh, Ryan, and thank you very much for your time. Awesome. You too. All right. Thank you. Have a good Take care. Bye. See you. Bye. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.